Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknet. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Howdy, folks. So on today's podcast, we're going to be kicking off the new year with another migraine miracle story. I mentioned recently that we're going to be having a lot more of these on the podcast, and so you can expect a lot of these uh, in 2019. We keep receiving more and more awesome stories of transformation from people in our community, and they're too good not to share, and I know how inspiring they are for those of you listening. And today's guest, who I'm super excited to have on the show, is Lori Law. Lori is quite an amazing person. She's a former Emmy-winning photojournalist, a motorcycle enthusiast, a writer, a novelist, and now an expert slayer of beasts. And I talk a lot about the single biggest key to success being mindset, or the stories that we tell about the things in our life. And Lori is a perfect example of why this is so crucial and how powerful this is. And it's so fitting that she identifies herself as a storyteller. She clearly appreciates the power of story in our lives, which includes the most powerful story of all, which is the one that we tell ourselves about ourselves. You've heard me say before that every transformation with the Migraine Miracle Plan has to begin with starting to tell a new story of migraine and shedding and eliminating all of the limiting beliefs and myths of the old story of migraine, which is the one that so many people are still telling. In fact, this is what I'm listening for when I see someone for the first time with migraines. Whether their mindset is there and whether they're telling stories that help rather than hurt, because I know there's no sense in spending time and energy in making major changes unless that mindset is first in place. The big challenge is that the ones who are telling themselves harmful stories are oftentimes the ones most unaware of just how powerful those stories can be and just how powerfully they can undermine your chances of success if it's the wrong kind of story. As you'll hear, like many others, Lori found the book out of desperation. The beast had become an ever-present part of her life. She was living on tripped hands just to be able to function at her job, and her doctors didn't have any other answers for her. It's a story we've heard so many times before, a story I've seen day in and day out in my work as a neurologist more times than I care to think about. So Lori has been putting the plan into action for over two years now and uh, has gained tons of experience and is just a fountain of wisdom. So I hope that her story uh, both inspires and helps you. Also, stay tuned after my conversation with Lori, and I'm just going to share a few key takeaways from it. Okay, and so without further delay, here is my interview with the indomitable Lori Law. Today, I am thrilled and delighted to have Lori Law with me. Lori, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, you got it. It's an absolute honor to talk to the man who changed my life. (laughs) So Lori entered the Migraine Miracle Universe, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago now. Yeah, August of uh, 2016. Okay, so you remember. Yeah, so I had that close. So since then, she's not only experienced her own incredible transformation, she's also been a vocal advocate for the Migraine Miracle, and I know that her efforts along those lines have already helped a ton of people. So she's both a beast slayer extraordinaire, 
someone clearly not afraid to take massive action and also a force of nature. And so we're so happy she found her way to us. And I think it's high time we uh, shared her story with you here on the podcast. So first of all, Lori, how about just telling us a little bit about yourself, just who you are and how you got here? Well, I'm 51 years old. I was a television news photographer for NBC for 24 years and just retired from my job a couple of months ago for a multitude of reasons. But I've always been an extremely active person. I'm not someone who likes to, you know, sit on the sidelines. For me, you know, my migraine started when I was 13 and gradually over the years grew in intensity and really made a negative impact on my life. And You know, it's funny when I listen to other podcasts from people who've gone through the same path, it's like hearing my story each time Mm -hmm. I listen to it. It's such a similar story, which helps in that we know we're not alone in this. And that's why I preach from the mountains about this program, because it's the only thing that's worked. And when I hear other people's similar stories and how it's worked for them, I have just huge confidence that it'll work for anyone who's willing to dedicate to it. Yeah, I know it sitting from my position where I see the same story unfold every day. And and it was like, it was not a good story. So it was a story, you know, they'd come to me and we'd kind of do the usual approach to things. And things may hold their own or they oftentimes get worse over time. And that's where it ended. And then, And then I'd see after finding this plan and putting that into action, how that story could transform. Like there's a happy ending that waited people. And, and it's so hard to know that and try to get people to get that message there and figure out a way to kind of get it out there in a way that people will be receptive to it. But, well, you know, and that's such a key thing about being receptive to it. I had tried over the years. I mean, I'd suffered for 36 years mm-hmm. and they went from four or five a month to toward the end, 28 days out of a month. I mean, the majority of my life, I felt terrible. So I just lived on sumatriptans and just pushed through life because I was not going to sit and let this get to me. But, you know, about six, seven years ago, I went to see an holistic doctor and she said, you've got to get off sugar and wheat and, you know, this, and you've got to get off all medications. And I left the office laughing. I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, sugar's not my problem. Right. And it was just this absolute denial. And it wasn't until I hit this point of just pure desperation and read your book I mean, even through most of your book, I'm rolling my eyes going, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. That's going to work because nothing had worked. Right. And it was the threshold issues that you talked about Uh that really hit home when it was starting to go, ah, okay, I'm starting to get this. This is making sense. And if you don't have an open mind to it, you're not going to succeed. And I think that's probably the biggest factor in success. Yeah. So there's a concept out there about the stages of change. I don't know if you're familiar with it. This comes from the sort of the research on how people change their behaviors. And so you realize there is a process and there's kind of this point where people won't be, haven't even thought about that there's an issue to address or a problem to address. And so really won't be receptive to information. And then there's sort of a phase right after that where there's some awareness. And so there's these little windows of opportunity in terms of when sort of someone will be receptive to that piece of information and sort of knowing when someone's in that window is really key to helping if you're trying to get a message like this out there. I'm sure you probably have encountered this to yourself. If someone's not ready for it, it oftentimes it's not going to be received and and oftentimes it won't be received well or maybe even the opposite of how you might intend it. 
It's true because when people will ask me and I'll talk about it, almost 100% of the time, the response is, oh yeah, I tried that. Didn't work for me. Right. Like, you know, did you really try it? And you have to understand it at its core. Even my mom, love you, mom, no offense here, (laughs) but she saw what kind of success I had two years ago and was so thrilled. And she's had chronic migraine from the time she was 13. Mm -hmm. But the idea of giving up treats was just impossible for her to wrap her head around. And she kept trying to find excuses. Oh, no, I think it's something else for me. And she just completed the Bee Slayer Academy. And she finally, I think, truly understands it and has dedicated to it. So, you know, it's not just this simple thing of, oh, I've got to give up these treats. And right. you know, I don't want to do that. and I'm going to be cured. It's an entire process. And it's funny, food controls our lives so much. And I mean, it did for me, everything centered around, you know, my special treat. And I was a super healthy person. I mean, I ate organic, I didn't eat fast food, I didn't smoke or drink. I mean, I was just this extremely healthy fit person. But I loved, you know, baking treats, giving up that thing, to have this life of freedom of pain Mm -hmm. is so worth it. And at the time when you're first starting, it's hard to wrap your head around. And now to me, it just seems so ridiculous that it was a difficult thing to give up. You know what I mean? It's like food has no control. (laughs) Right. I don't think if I were to go back to myself 10 years ago and like, say, no, you will reach this place where you don't care about these foods at all. Like right. it's not even hard. There's no, it's not a willpower thing. It's not, it's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? Right. Um, and, you know, people will say, well, you've got such willpower. I'm like, right. no. no. And, and really, I think my key point to people who are starting is know that it's such a short period of time that you're dedicating to this where it's hard. Right. It gets to a point, I would say after about the three mark, it becomes absolute second nature, easy. You don't have these cravings. You feel amazing. And the better you feel, the more you want to keep moving forward on it, which is the point my mom's at. She's starting to see the difference. Mm -hmm. And so now she's like super excited and driven. And she wasn't getting to that point before. She was just seeing it as a deprivation. And it's not a deprivation. You're giving yourself your life back. The Miracle Moment Podcast is brought to you by Migraine Everland, our premier resource for people with migraines, which you can now try for free for 30 days. As a member, you'll have access to all of the member materials that we have created since we first launched Migraine Everland back in 2014. So that includes the Bee Slayer Training Academy, which is our foundational training for how to put the Migraine Miracle Program into action. It includes primal provisions, with almost a year's worth of weekly meal plans and recipes. It includes the weekly clinic chat, which is a uh, Q&A session with me that takes place each week inside of our member Facebook group. It includes access to the entire archives of the chatter, which are the transcripts of all of those Q&A sessions, so almost 150 issues of those at the time of this recording. It includes access to the Migraine Evercast, which is a podcast that is exclusively for Migraine Everland members. It includes access to all of our 30-day challenges like the Keto Blast, the Jumpstart, uh, Sleep Challenge, the Movement Challenge, Mindset Challenge, and more. It includes access to the aforementioned members-only Facebook group. And it also includes the newly created Roadmap to Migrant Everland, which guides you step-by-step on how to utilize all of these resources to progress through all five stages in the journey to Migrant Everland. So once again, you can now become a member and try it for 30 days for free. 
To learn more and to get started, uh, head over to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash join. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. That was one of the motivations for writing the book. It was like once I had this kind of message that I wanted people to receive, it was, you know, what was the best way? And, and I really just figured if just get enough people to put this into action and to just let the results speak for themselves, like that's what it needs. You know, once you've experienced that, then you kind of over the big hump. It's just yeah. a matter of how you get someone to that point. So how about take us back to kind of where you were when you found the book? So what, what was going on and then kind of what you first did? Like I said, I was always over 20 migraine a month and mm -hmm. I lived on sumatriptans. I had a very physical job as a news photographer. My equipment weighs about 50, 60 pounds and you're just running all day. So the only way I could get through the day was having this medication. And I hated that I was a slave to it. I mean, I'd panic if I'd leave the house and didn't have something with me. Mm -hmm. And I had had a two week streak where I was just in constant pain. And I mean, the Trexamet would relieve it enough that I could get through work, but mm -hmm. you, you know how it is. You have this weird feeling. You don't feel right. Mm -hmm. And after two weeks of this pain, I'd always had a suspicion that migraine was somehow linked to the gut, but I didn't quite know why. And I mean, right. I, had, I had eliminated a gazillion foods from my diet. Oh, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. I can't eat this. Well, whenever I'd get a migraine, I would have these insane carbohydrate cravings. So I'm driving home from work and I stopped at the grocery store and I bought one of those you know, those French breads they have by the checkout aisle and they're all hot. And, you yep. know. I mean, I made my own bread and I'd use organic wheat and I was grinding my own flour. I mean, I was very particular about what kind of wheat I would eat right. because I thought there might be a link. So here I buy this cheap loaf of bread and I went home and I'm stuffing it in my face. I mean, I ate over half a loaf of this bread and all of a sudden it was like, what am I doing? So I pulled out my computer and I Googled, why do I have extreme <laughs> carbohydrate cravings during a migraine? And your book popped up. That's amazing. So I thought, okay. And I had looked at ancestral eating and paleo and, mm -hmm. you know, I was always very intrigued by it, but I hadn't really tried it. I had tried gluten-free, which didn't do anything, but, you know, I was determined I wasn't going to give up the sugar. I read the book and like I said, I was really skeptical, but I thought, okay, I've got to give this a try 100% mm -hmm. and see where it goes. And I tend to do things to the extreme. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going to go as hardcore as I can on this. So I started reading. I think you were just starting to dive into the ketogenic realm at that point, two right. years ago, yep. and experimenting on yourself and that kind of thing. So I started reading all this documentation on how the ketogenic diet had helped children with epilepsy back in the 1920s and you know just all these things. So I thought, I'm going to go hardcore keto. And I did, and I felt immediate results. It didn't eliminate the migraines, but I could see that it better. was working. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm still taking the Trexmet because mm -hmm. I was terrified of giving that up. Plus, my doctor had had me on continuous birth control to try to control the migraine as well. Mm -hmm. And I knew going off of that was going to be terrible. And it was. I mean, I think it was, I can't remember the timeline, but I think I ate keto for about a month and then decided, okay, it's time to tackle the medication issue. That was the part that scared me the most. And going off the medication, I had three weeks straight of constant pain. So you say to yourself, well, why didn't you just give up? Because right. it's not working. 
it was a different kind of pain mm -hmm. and I could feel that my body was just detoxing from this. So I thought, okay, I need to ride this out and get through it. And I did. And that's at the point where I had just like dramatic change. And that's the thing too, when I talk to people about the migraine miracle, you can't pick and choose the parts you want to do. Mm -hmm. it's, right. it's a right. matter of changing your entire system. It's you a know, system, you, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to keep taking my Treximet when I need it. No, no. Mm -hmm. Like you, I don't even take an aspirin. I don't want to put anything into my body. I want my body to learn to heal itself. Mm -hmm. And two years after starting this program, I don't have any kind of pain. I mean, it's amazing. It didn't just impact the migraine. It impacted everything about my health and well-being, my energy level, my clarity of thought, joint pain. I mean, it's really amazing what food and drugs can do to your system. Yeah. That's such an important point, too, about it being a, a whole system. And we see that, obviously, we see that all the time. You know, someone will come in and maybe hear, like, it's give up gluten or this or one piece of here. But if you don't take the whole thing in totality. So I'm always looking for someone who's ready to kind of go all in. Because I know if you're not at that point yet, don't do it until you're at that point and have that commitment. And I know it sounds like you kind of already had, I'm going all in mentality kind of from the beginning. Thinking back, is there anything that kind of for you in particular helped you to get to that place? Or do you just feel like that's your natural disposition when you make your mind up about something? It's my natural disposition. But you know, like I said, a few years ago, when a doctor told me to give up sugar, I was like, ah, no way, not right. going to do it. I need to have a logical reason for doing something. And after mm -hmm. reading your book, it was like, ah, this really is logical and kind of a trick for me because I mean, I was a hardcore sugar addict mm -hmm. and it was daily. I had to have my treats and the thing that worked for me to kind of flip my thinking, I just went online and I started to read anything I could about the negative impacts of sugar. And when you start reading about what sugar does to your body, you really don't want it anymore. Right. And, you know, I basically had to brainwash myself into away from thinking this is something special and a treat to, OMG, this is poison. I need to stay away from this. Right. And it's really a mind over matter thing. And the mind is such a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. And if you let your mind run wild and you don't try to control it, you're never going to have this success. Like you say, you've got to change your migraine story mm -hmm. and you've got to stop looking at it as deprivation. So, you know, once I, convinced my brain that it didn't need this thing. Right. It really was simple. I'm so glad you said that. It's the story comes first, right? You have to change the story before you can kind of change all the behaviors around them. So it's like if we, everybody woke up tomorrow and thought their next bite of a treat would kill them, nobody'd have trouble avoiding it, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it would be easy. So it clearly tells us that it's, it is the story is the ultimate thing that's governing these behaviors. So we have such power if we change those stories, but you have to figure out what's it going to take for you in particular to kind of change your own story. But yeah. Well, and that. there are so many benefits. Some of my favorite benefits of this way of eating, not feeling hunger. Mm -hmm. I used to, you know, the phrase hangry that everybody uses, if I didn't eat every two hours, I'd turn into a monster. I mean, I had to just constantly feed myself. You know, my husband would see me crashing and he'd say, "Uh oh, you're crashing. Eat something. Right. And I don't have that anymore. I can easily fast 36 hours and not 
be bothered by it at all. In fact, fasting, I think, is my number one tool. Mm -hmm. If I say eat a meal that is a higher carbohydrate meal, Mm -hmm. I'll fast. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so you can have this treat meal. And when I talk about treat, people say, oh, well, you're going to eat your flour and sugar. They're 100% off the table. Right. But if I have a baked potato with my steak, I'll fast for a bit because the potato is going to, I know is going to spike my blood sugar. So I'm going to fast. And you learn how to really understand the signs in your body and counteract them. And restaurant food is pure evil. It really is. I never feel good after eating in restaurants. As much as you can make your own food, make Mm -hmm. your own food. Yeah, absolutely. It is very tough. So do you cook for yourself most all the time? Yeah. I've had a very interesting year, which Mm -hmm. the fact that I've been able to get through this past year and still keep the beast at bay is amazing. We sold our house a year and a half ago. I had tore my shoulder, which was part of why I retired from my work. But at that time, a year ago, I thought, well, I'm going to have to leave my profession. So we sold our house. And instead of buying another house or renting somewhere, we decided to live vagabond. Mm -hmm. So we were bouncing around to Airbnbs and hotels during the week. And then we have a house out in the desert that we go on the weekends. And a lot of the places we'd stay didn't have a kitchen. So at first I'm like, how am I going to do this? So on the weekend I would prepare food and we'd take it. You find ways to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And because food doesn't have that control over you anymore, you're okay eating something simple. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were times where we'd end up eating in restaurants more than I normally would because of the lack of kitchens and whatnot. And I would balance it with fasting. But I did have more headaches during this past year than I'd had the year before. Because Mm -hmm. the year before, I went a whole year hardcore, like not eating restaurants, cooking all my own food. Right. So you, you find tools to help counterbalance the things that maybe aren't great for your body, like restaurant food. But anytime you can prepare your own food, do it because you know what's in it. We certainly find the exact same thing. We know that it's like, I know that if I you know can cook at home, cook for myself, know what's going in all the time, I'm good to go. It's always a bit of a roll of the dice whenever I'm out, out of the house and eating something. Right. Um, so a couple of things there. Are there certain ways in which you navigate restaurants to try to kind of minimize the chances that there will be a yeah, I mean, undesired I, outcome? I will- I will never eat salad dressing. Mm -hmm. You know, they almost always have gums. I'm very sensitive to gums, always have been. The carrageenans, locust bean gum, you know, any of those. Mm -hmm. And salad dressings always have that. Plus, most salad dressings have sugar in them. You know, usually they'll have oil and vinegar shakers. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'll do that or a wedge of lemon. Usually a cut of meat and vegetables. And I get really embarrassed asking for special things in restaurants. I don't want to be the pain in the butt customer, you know, like Meg Ryan and when Harry met Sally, (laughs) where she has a long list of things (laughs) she can't do. But there have been a few times where I'll order the salmon and it comes and it has a sugar glaze on it. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to get over that embarrassment and ask about, is there a marinade? Is there a seasoning? You know, and ask for it without, hey, can I just have that simply seasoned with salt and pepper? Right. And there's things like that you can do. And I think one of the hardest things, and this was the hardest thing for my mom too, Mm -hmm. she's a very social person. And so she's always going to, you know, different get togethers and parties and going out to dinner with friends. When you're a guest in someone's home and they're serving you a meal, it's very uncomfortable to Mm -hmm. say, 
I can't eat that. So kind of the way I navigate that is say we're having a conversation with a friend and they'll say, hey, we'd love to have you over for dinner. And I kind of laugh and say, boy, I'm a pain in the butt guest. I said, this is this is one of my tricks for doing this. Uh I tell them, you know, I basically have to eat like a diabetic. So when you use that diabetic word, that's good because there's broad acceptance. Argue it. Right. Right. People accept that diabetics can't eat high carb. They can't eat Mm -hmm. sugar. Mm-hmm. When you say you do it for migraine, people don't understand that. It's like right. ah, a headache, you know, oh, you'll be fine. Just <laughs> right. And I say, you know what? My body can't handle sugar and it can't handle wheat. So I pretty much have to eat simple foods, you know, vegetables and protein. And people seem to accept that. Great. And it was so funny during the Christmas season here, we went to a party at a friend's house and the hostess said, oh, and over here, I want to show you, here's a plate of fruit and there's no sugar on the fruit. And I made you some whipped cream with no sugar, just vanilla. <laughs> and it was like, gosh, what a wonderful thing. So by setting it up in advance, right. so that the, the host knows that you have these limitations, then it doesn't get awkward when they pass, you know, the stuffing your way and you turn it down. Yes. You know, it's one of the ways that I've learned to navigate that situation. That's great. Yeah, just a little bit of advanced preparation. So yeah. everybody's kind of on the same page and you're not You know, and if I'm going to a party that, you know, I haven't had a conversation with mm-hmm. in advance, I'll eat before we go to the party. Right. So that way I'm not because if you go hungry to a party and then you get there, like we had another one where we went and it was all appetizers, you know, crackers and cheese and things. And looking at this table thinking, boy, I don't <laughs> think there's anything here I can eat. Mm-hmm. But because I ate before we went. I wasn't going to say, ah, it'll be fine. I'll just have a few of these sugar-coated meatballs, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah, you just have to be prepared for those situations. Totally. Are there things that you've figured out for traveling that make life easier for you? Well, you know, it's funny. I was real worried about that in the beginning, but the main thing I do when I'm traveling is I fast a lot. Mm, Right. And the more you fast, the less hunger you feel, which is great. Yeah. And then I'll usually take long some nuts, but I don't want to eat too. I find if I eat too many nuts, I'll get a little bit of a headache. So, and I think you'd said because they're calorically dense, Mm -hmm. that's why you'll, you'll sometimes still get headaches from nuts. You know, there's some meat bars. Epic makes a few different meat bars. Those Mm -hmm. work well. I think I talked to you about this motorcycle event I do called Babes Ride Out and it's four days all girls on motorcycles. And last year, I think we had 1,600 girls on motorcycles. Wow. And you're out in the middle of the desert and they have a couple of food trucks there. And usually there's nothing I can eat on those food trucks. So I pack the meat bars and I pack my stuff to make my fat coffee in the morning. And I fast through it. And it's funny, I feel so good fasted. Mm -hmm. And people who haven't experienced that, they just think you're feeling hungry the whole time you're fasting. And you really don't. The longer you fast, the more your body just really kicks into its own. And so that's my number one tip for traveling. I'm glad you said that because that's my number one tip too. But it's one of those things, getting people to receive that as a concept. But that's totally what what I do and what Jenny does. You know, anytime we're traveling internationally or whatever, it's just not worth it. So we'll just fast. But it takes a little bit of time, as you know, to switch your metabolism to where that's effortless or not, you know, right. not, a, not an issue. So the biggest challenge comes for people who are kind of in the early stages and they're not quite to the point where they can fast easily for long periods of time and figuring out how to navigate the well, and, and the good entry point into that and how mm-hmm. I started is the intermittent fasting. So exactly. you, know, you change your window of eating. And I think my initial window 
was 10 a.m. to so I wouldn't eat first thing in the morning. And now it's pretty much like noon to six. I'll eat during that window. I only eat twice a day and sometimes actually a lot of times just once a day. Mm-hmm. I really feel best when I eat in that window. Now on the weekend, sometimes we'll be like, hey, let's make a nice breakfast. And my husband and I'll eat breakfast and we'll be hungrier that day. And it's like, wow, you know, we, we actually mm-hmm. both feel better not eating breakfast. Right. And it's funny, for years, I was one of these preachers, breakfast is the most important <laughs> meal of the day and yep. you have to eat. And, and I tell my husband, you need to eat breakfast because he's, it's interesting, he's never had migraine. He's had maybe two minor headaches in his entire life. Uh-huh. But he went along with this and said, you know what, it would be easier if we eat the same. So he went the whole path with me. He didn't do the keto, you know, he was still eating higher carb and such, but he stopped eating wheat and sugar. And man, he is a hardcore advocate. He dropped 40 pounds and he feels better than he ever has. And so he's just as hardcore as I am two years later. That's awesome. uh, Because he feels how dramatically his health has improved. Yeah. So our son, he's 11 years old when he's at home, you know, he eats like we do and he eats his first meal when he's hungry. So we don't necessarily say here's breakfast. So most of the time at home, he won't eat until around noon or beyond. And recently we traveled to the UK and he started just eating a breakfast. We got something at the store there that he wanted. And he started eating a breakfast there every morning after he woke up. And he was getting an hour and a half later every day, getting ravenously hungry, asking when yeah. we were going to eat lunch. And and he it's something we'd never seen ever from him before. It's just, it's incredible. How it's a weird phenomenon, isn't it? It is really weird. Yeah. But it clearly shows you then how, how much the food impacts your sensation of hunger and how just what you eat will lead you to eat more, right? Yeah, absolutely. On that topic, I think one of the things, this was a consistent statement from my mom. Uh Well, I'm just so depressed. I don't know what I can, you know, there's just, I can't eat anything. There's nothing to eat. Right. Crack up when people say, oh my gosh, you're giving up all this food. What do you eat? (laughs) It was like, are you kidding me? What don't you? There's just so much to eat. And it's really good food and you crave like these foods that actually make you feel good. It's that whole going back to that story of migraine is you've got to stop thinking about what you can't eat and look at this vast array of what you can. Uh, Such a good point. Yeah. I say all the time, I enjoy eating so much more than I used to. Before it was just kind of a, a chore and a thing and I was bored with it and food just like, it was kind of one note all the time. And now it's like this rich experience that that's like, I can't believe I was missing out on this for so long. And like you say, there's any uh, hunter gatherer from 50,000 years ago walked into a grocery store and just saw the, you know, the the meat (laughs) and vegetable produce and and meats that we have available to us would just be blown away. You know, we have so much abundance, but if you, you can focus on that and not on the thing that you can't get, you know. I had chronic stomach ache for Mm. years. Mm -hmm. Yes chronic stomach ache. And it's definitely, it was definitely the sugar because sometimes now even, you know, I'll eat an apple and I'll start getting that little bit of a stomach ache. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's one thing that's interesting too, is how sweet things are that were never sweet before. Absolutely. When you give up sugar, something like an apple is like the most decadent thing in the world. You know, you (laughs) take a bite of this apple and it's like, wow. You know, my my husband says, oh my, I had no idea I loved apples so much. (laughs) Right. And it's because your senses are so numbed by the constant input of sugar that when you get rid of that, it's like one of my treat foods is 90% chocolate. Well, I remember when I first started the program and I tried a 75 chocolate 
it tasted so bitter and uh-huh. awful. <laughs> like, oh. And now it's like, I'll take one little bite of the 90 and it feels too sweet. Right, exactly. And so my, my husband a couple of weeks ago bought 100% because he thought, hell, yeah. let's give it a try. And we're both like, hey, this is pretty good. It's not bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you really, your senses so change. And you know, like if I'll have, I think I wrote in one of my blogs about the migraine miracle mm-hmm. about the one bite strategy. So if you're at a special event and there's this amazing looking dessert and you're just feeling deprived and you really want this, first of all, don't feel deprived because you're probably not going to like it if you taste it anyway. But if you absolutely have to take one bite mm-hmm. and that one bite, I guarantee you will turn you off of that. So, you know, if you feel like you absolutely have to, sure, have that one bite, but also do it mindfully knowing that you very well may provoke the beast. Right. Those are strategies, but I guarantee after a while you'll be like, yeah, don't need to try it. I know what it's going to taste like and I'm not going to like it. Right. It definitely gets easier and keep telling those stories that are in your favor too, to make it a lot easier. Before you changed everything, did you used to worry about your blood sugar as far as its impact on your headaches? Like, did you have a concept that you needed to eat to prevent a headache or that if you didn't? So pretty much if I, like I said, didn't eat every two hours, Mm -hmm. I would get a migraine. I Mm -hmm. mean, it was, and that's what my husband would get in this panic. And like, we'd have to make sure to travel with food because he could see it coming. He could Mm -hmm. see it in my eyes. And I know that's a really common misconception. Oh, if I don't eat, I'll get a headache. So I, I can't fast. I can't do this. I have to eat. Well, it's not the food. It's the beast craving those carbohydrates. (laughs) You're feeding this beast and you got to deprive it. And that was a really difficult thing to wrap my head around in the beginning Mm -hmm. that I needed to not eat every two hours. Yes. So yeah, this is a common issue that we have for folks who kind of hear about these things for the first time and say, and and then be like, no, I can't do that. I, if I don't eat every two hours, I get a headache or, you know, whatever, my blood sugar gets low. And it made me think about, I remember when I first read your book and I'm looking back at the recipes and I'm going, oh, lunch meat, bacon, I can't uh-huh. eat it. There's a whole host of foods that a lot of migraineurs think they can't eat when it's all about the systemic inflammation. So it's not this one food that's sending you over the edge. It's all of these things combined because I've found that a lot of things that I avoided before, like bacon and lunch meats and that kind of, and I always try to find nitrate free and, you know, grass fed and all that. But it's not those single items. Like Brian said, my husband, Brian, Mm -hmm. I had a list, you know, two pages long of things that I couldn't eat before I started this program. Right. And you're constantly chasing triggers. Yes. When you suffer migraine. Yes. And so this list would grow and grow and grow and grow. When all the while, the number one thing that was causing my migraine, wheat and sugar, yes. I was eating in abundance. Right. And I was in such denial that those were the causes of the migraine. Oh, no, 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 no. My problem's not wheat and sugar. My problem is the gums and the nitrates and this and that. And that's where you have to start thinking about the whole picture of your body health and not focusing on these little single things that you think are the cause. Yes. I hear people say, oh, no, mine are stress caused. Oh, no, mine are caused by the weather. Mine are caused by lighting. No, it's the whole body. You got to look at the whole picture. Right. Yep. That's that's so glad to hear you say that. We get a lot of folks who will come to us and then then maybe look at a few recipes and say, oh, there are triggers in there. I can eat that. So we spent a lot of time talking about exactly 
what you just mentioned, which is this is, you know, it's a systems based, it's about essentially fundamentally changing not only your metabolism, but even down the level of gene expression. So that you're changing who you are, you're no, you know, from a migraineur to a non migraineur. And that completely changes that whole approach that you'd have to seeing food as the enemy and, and this long list of triggers and so forth. So we're trying to get this at an even deeper level. And it really is, it's everything that matters. It's not any one thing. Yeah. And that's when I say that, you know, it entire, it changed every single aspect of my health. When people say, ah, you know, it's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for me. I'm like, well, you're missing out because yeah. it truly is a phenomenal transformation. And like I said, I was a very healthy eater, active, fit, and yet I had these chronic migraine. And I never thought at 51 years old, I'd feel better than I did when I was 20. Right. You know, the reason I started down this path years ago wasn't to end my migraines. I didn't even know. It was merely because I felt like, the, you know, this was what I realized was the path to better health, you know, aligning our diet and lifestyle with what we're best adapted to. And then seeing all the benefits, realize that, you know, migraine is the thing that will help bring people into this. But once you do it and then you start seeing all the other benefits that emerge, that's really what keeps you around, right? So, yeah, I mean, that my husband is a huge testament to that because he was really skeptical because a few years ago before I found the migraine miracle and I was reading a lot about wheat and that's mm -hmm. when I tried gluten-free and that. Mm -hmm. And I was reading that, you know, the heritage wheat berries don't have the same sort of impact. And my husband said, you know, I just don't buy that wheat is a problem. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, we've been eating wheat for a long time. And I said, yeah, but look at all of these diseases of modern civilization. You know, mm -hmm. it's like there's got to be some kind of link right. here. And it wasn't until he gave it up that he realized how much it was impacting. And, and you know, it's like for me, I think sugar was my biggest mm -hmm. um, problem. For him, absolutely wheat. He said he constantly felt this tightness and bloating and, you know, just felt really uncomfortable in his skin. Yeah. And doesn't anymore. So it's interesting the ancestral approach just makes so much sense. And I know some people will laugh at it, but it's like, nah, you know what? Bodies function better on these simple foods, these simple unprocessed foods. Right. Yeah. A lion can't live on the, in the ocean. We all have our habitat and we're going to thrive in the one that's closest to the one that we're best adapted to. It's interesting too, you say that about your husband. It's probably about a third of the population that are overtly gluten sensitive. So that will experience pretty significant physical improvements, particularly with digestion, yeah. just by eliminating. So that alone for me is enough for everybody to try that at some point, just to see how it's impacting you. Well, you Are, look at all these chronic ailments that people suffer, joint pain, stomach issues, digestion, oh, I'm lactose intolerant, I'm this, I'm that. And, you know, Brian and I both think that their main problem is wheat. Right. And most people aren't going to see that, but it truly is a detriment to most people's health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things. There's so much to potentially gain and nothing to lose, literally. So except the taste of bread. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I tell you, when they set down a hot basket of bread on the table, it's really hard to resist yep. because I loved baking bread. I mean, it was such a creative process and I loved it. And good yeah. bread is just so tasty. But it's that strategy of you look at it and say, okay, is a bite of that bread truly worth right. a possible migraine? Right. And people who haven't suffered migraine don't right. understand. Don't get that. Yeah. No. And, you know, they say, ah, oh, it's a headache. I've had headaches. They're fine. And I think, too, every migraineur thinks theirs are the worst. 
Right. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. My yeah, migraines my, are right. really awful. My migraines are the worst. Right. Anybody who has migraines, you can't even explain the kind of pain. Well, you can't and, fathom anything worse, right? No. And you know what's funny, too, is when you go for a long period without them, like, yes. you know, I'm two and a half years into this, and the times when I've had one, like I had one caused by a hair product that mm -hmm. gave me a five-day migraine, and it was like, oh, my God, how did I survive 36 years of this? Yeah. You forget how incredibly awful they are until you have one again. It's so And that's true. the motivation to stay away from that basket of bread when it comes. <laughs> right. I know you were like, okay, remember this feeling, you know, right. <laughs> a month from now, don't forget this. This is the right. worst thing ever. You never want this ever again. So never, ever, ever. <laughs> and you know, your strategies for combating a migraine without drugs, without drugs. it really works. The salted water, mm -hmm. walking, and I know how hard it is to move when you have the migraine. And this is another thing my husband bless him. He is just the best human being. So the few times where I have had a migraine, he'd be like, get up, go walk. Dr. T wants you to walk. <laughs> so he's citing you. Dr. T would be disappointed in you unless you get out there and move. That's hilarious. And so you put on the dark glasses, you get yourself a big giant bottle of salted water and you just keep moving because laying in bed only makes it worse. And that's one of the hardest things to force yourself to do is to get up and move. And I'll do yoga to relieve the tension in the in the neck and breathing and peppermint oil. So there are all these different strategies so that you don't reach for that drug. Those drugs are the worst thing that ever happened to me and so many other sufferers. And I think they're absolutely the reason why I went from five migraines that were usually centered around my period to yep. getting 25 a month. Because there's no reason why a person should have 25 migraine a month. Right. This is another one of those points that's so hard to get out there, but it's like oh, yeah. so critical. I mean, it's just, you can't get around it if you don't address that central issue. Oh, and it truly is an, an addiction. I mean, I was terrified to go anywhere without the medication and yeah. having the freedom from that is so amazing. And it was funny, I was cleaning out I used to hoard any of the sumatriptans yep. and because, you know, the insurance covered like nine tablets a month of the Trexamet and nine tablets would not get me through the month. I needed at least 20. Right. <laughs> and so I would try find ways to buy them. I'd get them from other people. I mean, I was like this ridiculous drug addict mm -hmm. and I still continued for the first year after I started the migraine miracle getting the prescriptions filled. They were on an auto refill mm -hmm. because I was so scared that right. the migraine was going to come back. And hey, look at this. I'm not having them right now, but I'm building up this huge stockpile <laughs> right. for when I do. And about a year ago, I found this box of the nasal sprays, the tablets, and I threw them out because it was like, I will never, ever, ever in my life ever take another trip down. Yeah. It's a process to get to that point. I know. Because you're that, scared to let oh, it go. Gosh, so scared to let it go. But then, you know, that's it, another one where the story you tell is all the difference. And it's one of those ideas that gets so much resistance. The hard part about it is telling someone this. It seems like, you know, you're being non-empathetic to say, don't take something for right. <laughs> to relieve yourself. But it truly is trading short-term suffering for what is often, you know, like you said, what can be a short-term or a time-limited problem into this chronic 
daily unrelenting thing that can go on for decades. And, you know, the intensity of the migraine isn't nearly what they used right. to be. And I think the intensity was spurred on by the triptans. And yes, because it used to be if I didn't take them and the pain would escalate, they'd go full on blackout. I'd lose my ability to speak. I had an incident years ago. I was covering a news story in Laguna Beach in California and I didn't have any pill. No, I'd run out. That's what it was. I'd run out. And my reporter, who was very sensitive, she knew what I went through. She said, you know, you're not looking so good. And I'm like, I'm okay. Well, our next stop was at another location in another city. She was driving on her own. She said, I didn't show up. So she started worrying. I'd never in my 20-year career not showed up to mm -hmm. a news story. So she's in a panic, calling my phone, trying to figure out where I was. And another news crew saw my van parked over at a courthouse and found me in the back, just blacked out. Oh, gosh. I have no recollection of driving to, from Laguna Beach to Santa Ana, which was about 15 miles. I have no recollection of crawling in the back of that van. I don't remember that day. And that's terrifying. Yeah. And I think that kind of intensity came, my body was so addicted to these triptans. And mm -hmm. because I didn't feed it this triptan, I went full-blown blackout. Yeah. And having something have that kind of power over you is terrible. So to be free from that now is just like the best thing ever. It is. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And, and I think there are many folks who've reported the same things that the character of their even if they do get a visit, the character of it is much different and much more tolerable when they're no longer on the trip dance. And, and yeah. that likely is reflecting just what they're doing to your brain's own ability to counteract a migraine. It kind of obliterates that system. And so it's just like when it comes, it comes and there's nothing to hold it back. And so it just escalates yeah. and escalates. And, and you've and talked a lot about, you know, your body learning to heal itself. Yeah. And I believe there's just so much value in that. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's uh, unfortunately something that's been kind of underappreciated in Western medicine, but we really should start by maximizing that avenue as much as we can with any condition. You know, what can we do to facilitate our body's own ability to heal itself? Because it's way smarter than we are still. This has been fantastic. If you were to, talking to someone who's kind of just at the very beginning, right before you found the book or just getting started, anything that you'd tell them that would maybe help them through these the first few weeks or months of the process? It's a matter of truly staying the course and dedicating and changing your story. And as much as you're going to say to yourself, this isn't going to work for me. I've tried everything. This isn't going to work for me. I've tried everything. You've got to switch that. And you've got to say, how will I know unless I try? And trying isn't giving it up for a week or following the program for a month. It's about realizing you have to change your life for good. It's not a temporary thing that you're going to be fixed and can go back to it. You just have to change your perspective on your health and just do it. I mean, just do it. Yeah. Great advice. Change the story to where it's, I'm going all in with this because I'm worth it. So yeah. Um, and life truly is spectacular. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just, if you, I just want to give people a taste of what it feels like, you know. Oh, I, sometimes I feel like just such a salesman when I'm talking to somebody about it. You know, I'm like, oh, geez, I know they're rolling their eyes and listening right. to this because I'm so passionate about right. it. And when somebody gets me on the topic, man, 
are talking their ear off. Yeah. Because it is such a dramatic change. Yep. I've said before, I always feel like I have to rein it in. I have to tone it down because if I like let my true passion for it come out, they're going to be like, no, that's not real. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That's too good to be. Oh, one other thing is the Bee Slayer Academy came around after I had already found my path to freedom. And I I personally haven't gone through it. Uh My mom went through it and it finally got her going. So if you're just starting on this path, I've seen what it's done for my mom. So go through that academy because it truly lays it all out for you. And I think, you know, the book was written how many years ago? Oh, gosh, 2013, I think. Right. So you've done a ton more. I've done a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I almost would tell people to start with the academy over the book because I think it really goes to your current research on it. If you do one or the other, I would definitely recommend the academy. And so I, I, the book is kind of the textbook with a lot of foundational information. And for people who like information and, you know, want everything in that format, it's a good place to start. But as far as like, putting it into action and sort of the comprehensive approach, plus all the the things that we've learned from so many people putting it into action and ways we've been able to modify things and help people through the little stumbling blocks and stuff. And that's all in the academy. And that wasn't know something I put in the book. So yeah. I think if you're a self-starter, the book is great. Right. Exactly. More guidance, the academy is the way to go. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think that's a good spot to end things. So first of all, I'm so glad for the success that you've had, Lori, in Slaying the Beast. And once again, want to thank you so much for all that you've done to help us spread the message to all the others that we both know desperately still need it. I thank you for your dedication to this. And without you, I wouldn't have gotten to this point. Yeah. And there's going to be people saying the same thing about you. So (laughs) we just keep passing it along, right? And keep playing that banjo too. I love banjo. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. My goal okay, is to cool. eradicate the beast so that I can then spend all time at the time every day playing the banjo. So outstanding. Well, thank, <laughs> you, thank you, and thank Jenny for all of her dedication and hard work and recipe creation. And you two are just the loveliest people. I'm well, glad thank, you're in my life. Yeah, thanks. We're glad you're in ours as well. And thanks so much for taking time to share your story here on the podcast today. You got it. All right. Bye bye. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lori as much as I did. I'm now going to share a few key takeaways from that interview, though honestly there were gold nuggets of wisdom uh, dispersed throughout the whole thing. As I mentioned in the introduction, Lori is such a great example of the power of story or mindset in our success with anything. Part of that is because story greatly impacts two keys to success, which she really embodies. One is being fully committed to the plan or going all in, as the saying goes. So uh, it's not about picking and choosing certain parts of the plan. As she insightfully recognizes, this is a systems-based approach, which requires implementation of the entire system to work. Unlike what most people are used to with Western medicine, this is a holistic way of doing things. And the second thing that's really key is the ability to go against the grain. We're all wired as humans to follow the herd, and doing things differently instinctively makes us a little nervous. This is something that in our hunter and gathering days served us well, to go along and do what the tribe was doing. But it's a trait that doesn't serve us very well many times in our modern world. And so often the price of just going along with the herd is a significant one, as so many migraineurs know all too well. 
So being able to do things different and to be resilient in the face of the many forces that will try to pull you back is absolutely key. The ability to tune out the noise and the distractions that, if you don't tune them out, will pull you back to old habits and behaviors is really key to lasting success with anything, including uh, slaying the beast for good. In both of these things, the willingness to go all in and the ability to be unconventional and stay the course, both of those things are driven by mindset and driven by the stories that we tell about the things we do and the things that happen to us. Another really interesting thing that she highlighted, and something that Jenny and I talk about all the time, is just how similar the experiences of those who put the plan into action are. It used to be tragic to see how similar the experiences of people with migraines getting the usual treatment was. They'd go to the doctor, get funneled into the standard way of doing things, started on medications, get worse over time with ever-escalating headaches. And seeing that story repeated over and over was so discouraging and frustrating. And it made everyone involved, uh, patients, doctors, nurses, just feel helpless. But now it's like there's this additional chapter that's being added to the end of that story for so many people now. There's this happy second act to the story. It's just really cool to see. And that too, just like the first part of the story, is so similar from one person to the next in a really great way. We see over and over again, people can't believe how quickly things really do improve, especially those who get the meds out of the picture altogether and who start with the mindset piece in place from the beginning. And so many talk about noticing that the, the character of their headaches start to change pretty early on and give a glimpse that something really good was happening and that those small initial wins make a huge difference in, in helping them stay the course. Over and over, people also talk about how surprised they are that sugar no longer has the same power over them and over time how much easier it is to resist than they would have thought uh, previously. So many people talk about not being able to believe that hunger really doesn't cause headaches. So many people get hung up about this and have a really hard time letting go of this myth. This is why I devoted two prior podcast episodes to it. And Lori talks about once being militant about making sure that she ate every two to three hours, which is a symptom of carb dependency and a metabolic state that fuels continued migraines. Over and over, people get to this point where they can't believe that they can go extended periods of time without eating, without really any hunger or discomfort, and that they really never get that ravenous hunger that they used to feel before. Again, another symptom of carb dependency. As I said, the old story of migraine has so many myths and limiting beliefs that are part of the problem, and that idea about needing to eat frequently and that hunger or low blood sugar causes headaches is such a big one. We also have so many people who can't believe that exercise actually helps a migraine, that they go in extremely skeptical of that, that idea and then are blown away when they find out that it actually works. Over and over, we also hear people talk about enjoying eating more than ever before and how all food tastes so much richer now that sugar is out of the diet and that how ironic it is that it comes across that doing this is some sort of sacrifice when really we're enjoying ourselves more than we ever have before when it comes to food. And I think everybody who's been through this also has faced the challenge in spreading this message and sharing our personal experience without coming across as sounding too good to be true. This is certainly one of those things in life that feels too good to be true. Lori talks about how skeptical she was when she first read the book, thinking, yeah, right. And I know that's just human nature and a defense mechanism that most of us have to avoid getting our hopes up. 
which makes it really challenging for those of us who want to shout this from the rooftops. And I think that's exactly why sharing these kinds of stories is so important. Ultimately, it's results that are most convincing, and most of all, uh, your own results. And so hopefully, hearing these stories will prompt some of you listening to take the same massive action that Lori has. I would also recommend you check out her website, which you can find at lauribentleylaw.com, and I'll link that in the show notes so you can get to the show notes for any episode by going to the website, mymigreemiracle.com, and just clicking on podcast on the top uh, menu. And if you'd like to follow in her footsteps, remember that you can now join Migraine Everland for free for 30 days. Just go to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash join to learn more, and you'll also find a link in the podcast description. All right, so that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying the Miracle Moment podcast and you want to help other people find it and you want others to hear Lori's inspiring story, it'd be great if you left a rating uh, or review in iTunes. It really does help. Okay, now it's time to go out and slay the beast. (music) 